1 Chronicles chapter 4. It's in the Old Testament or the beginning part of your Bible, 1 Chronicles chapter 4. We can also follow along on the screen. We're starting here in verse 9. We started looking at this a couple weeks ago. It says, Now Jabez was more honorable than his brothers, and his mother called his name Jabez, saying, Because I bore him in pain. And Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory, that your hand would be with me and that you would keep me from evil, that I may not cause pain. If you didn't get one of these, I want you just to raise your hand because I want to put one of these in your hand. This is a 30-day, 31-day devotional that's taking this passage of Scripture and just praying it on a daily basis, just kind of expounding and, and expanding on that every single day. And so if you didn't get one of these, raise your hand, and the ushers are walking around. They'll, they'll put it in your hands. Just jump in wherever, just use it today as day one. Um, jump in there and just start with that. And just what I would encourage you, read it out loud. <laughs> That's why Daniel read it here this morning. Just read it out loud. Make it part of just your, your, your journey here and just walk through these the next 31 days. Now, I asked you this question a couple of weeks ago. And the question was, what happens when you ask God to do the impossible? That's what Jabez did. What happens when you ask God to do the impossible? I mean, when was the last time you actually decided to take a leap of faith? When was the last time that you looked beyond just the scraps of your belief or your Christian life and lifted up your head to imagine a life that's beyond what you can do in your own strength and your own abilities? When was the last time you actually stretched your faith? Now, I'm not talking about just faith for salvation or faith for God's help or faith for paying your bills, although all, each one of those require faith. But what I'm talking about here this morning, I'm talking about putting yourself out there. I'm talking about dreaming as something bigger than who you are. I'm, I'm talking about having this holy imagination that gets in touch with God's desires and his purpose and his destiny for your life. See, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, it says, for we walk by, what's the word? Faith. For we walk by faith, not by sight. This is how we are to live our lives. As soon as you make a decision to follow after Jesus, our lives are to be different. And too often, we just fall back into living life the way we've always lived life. But as a follower of Jesus Christ, God said our life is supposed to be different. It should look different. We should act different. And the reason is because we live our lives walking by faith, not by sight. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, it says, but without faith... It's impossible to walk with God and please Him. Faith is central to this thing that we call Christianity. It's not, Christianity is not coming to church on Sunday. Christianity is this walk, this, this being following in Jesus Christ, and it requires in faith for us to be able to do that. I said this a couple of weeks ago that someone once said there's very little difference between people, but it's that little difference that makes all the difference in the world. It's so true, isn't it? It's the little differences. And I think that's where faith comes in because, because walking by faith and taking steps of faith is the difference maker. It's the difference between just taking up oxygen here on this planet and actually being a part of something that is so much bigger than you are. It's the difference between just having your name put on some sort of grave marker in some cemetery out there and 
actually leaving a legacy for others to follow. When you look at this guy by the name of Jabez, you can see how this truly is, is real, how it's, so, it's, how it's so true. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, that in a list of 500 different names that are listed in, in this, this chapter, 1 Chronicles, cha- 1 Chronicles 1, there's a list of 500 different names. A historian is just going through the lineage of Israel. In this list of 500 different names, there was something that was different about this man by the name of Jabez that caused the historian to stop in mid sentence so It's like he cleared his throat and he changed his tactics. It's like he was saying, hey, wait a minute here. You probably have fallen asleep with all these different names I've been listening here for you, but you need to know something about this guy by the name of Jabez. There's something different about his life. He lived his life differently than everybody else. He stands head and shoulders above his generation. It was that little difference that made all the difference in the world and completely set him apart from the people in his generation. Here's what I believe. I believe that there's something inside of every single one of us that wants to live our lives beyond ourselves and beyond the expectation of others. I believe it's in you. I believe there's something inside of every one of us that realizes that we are meant for more than what we're currently experiencing. I believe it's in you. I believe, I believe there's something inside of you that says there's more to life than what I'm currently experiencing. And I believe that God really wants to do amazing things in and through your life. Not just me, not just the person sitting beside you, but every single one of us. God has created us for more than what we're currently experiencing. Two weeks ago, I talked about a word that describes this, and that word is audacious. Audacious. And audacious means one who is bold or daring. <laughs> especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought. Let that sink inside of you. Audacious means one who is bold or daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought. So many of us, we live within the confines of of, of personal comfort and conventional thought. But God has called us to be audacious. Let me ask you a question. Is this a description of your life? Are you audacious? Are you being bold and daring, especially with confident disregard for personal comfort or conventional thought? God desires for us to live our lives that way. This is why you were made. This is why you were created. You're not created just to go through the status quo and live your life like everybody else around you. God's called you to be audacious. Any of you ever heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir? Anybody, heard, anybody here? You know, it's, it's, the, it's the big choir that you'll see a lot of different times on TV for different functions and different things. And it's part of a church called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And the pastor of that church, his name is Jim Simbala. And he wrote a book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. I love this book because it, it's kind of like a highlight reel of the, the life of the church and what happened during those years, the beginning years of the church. And it just describes the addictions that are broken. It describes the families that were restored and souls that were saved and how a city, a neighborhood began to be changed. I, changed. I love this book because it, it really helps us see how God can change a church and how God can use a church and how God can transform a city and therefore a region. When I was reading this probably about 15 years ago, Ago, there was something on page 23 that just kind of jumped out of the pages and left uh, just a lasting impression on me. I want to just share, just read just a little bit. I need to read just kind of context to get you to that point. But listen to this. It says, every week 
seemed to carry with it a new challenge. The burner went out on the heating system and would cost $500 to repair. Unfortunately, my impassioned efforts as a fundraiser mustered only $150 in pledges from the people. I thought more than ever about quitting. I'm not cut out for this, I told myself. I don't have that ministerial flair. I don't have a pastoral voice. I'm not an orator. I look too young. I'm so tired. Neither Carol nor I were, uh, knew where to turn for support. My parents lived in another part of Brooklyn. My father was battling alcoholism at that point, and my mother was consumed with the struggle. So we couldn't rely much on her for encouragement. The mother of one of Carol's friends heard what we were doing and dropped by one Sunday. She didn't say it, but you could tell what she was thinking. What's a nice young couple like you doing down here? It didn't take long to discover that most middle-class white Christians in other parts of the city did not find our location or congregation very attractive. Some of the members we inherited were so out of step with the flavor of the church, so set on their own agenda that I actually began to pray they would leave. One man informed me that he, too, was ordained and should be allowed to preach on Sunday nights. What I observed in his spiritual life, however, indicated just the opposite. Confrontation came hard because we could ill afford it to lose people. But if these members were to stay, the result would be an ongoing discord, and I knew the Lord would never bless that kind of mess with the spiritual power we were so desperately needing. One by one, these people made their exit. On a couple of occasions, I even had to help answer my own prayers by suggesting that members consider another church. I was learning that in pastoral work, as in basketball, sometimes you have to confront. In time, despite these defections, the congregation was no longer 20. It grew to 40 or 45. The finances remained touch and go. Friends sometimes left bags of groceries on our doorsteps, for which we were grateful. My first year in Brooklyn, we received a total of $3,800 in salary. The national average income for households our size was $14,000. The second year, we climbed all the way to $5,200. On more than one wintry Saturday night, I would think about the fact that attendance the next morning would probably be low because of the snow. Most of our people couldn't afford cars. This would mean an even smaller offering. At such times, I wondered how I could possibly face another Sunday. I even hoped that by some miracle, the sun wouldn't come up the next morning. Carol started a little choir with a grand total of nine voices. But problems soon arose there too. No sooner did the choir begin to sing in the meetings than one of the girls in it got pregnant out of wedlock. In a small congregation, everyone notices everything. Everyone talks about everything. After we had some Sunday night times of prayer around the altar, when people got in the habit of calling on the Lord, our attendance grew to 50 to, or 60. But I knew God wanted to do much more, and he would if we provided good soil in which we, he could work. I was tired of the escapist mentality I'd witnessed since childhood, always glorifying what God did way back in some revival, or else passionately predicting the, the coming great move of God just ahead. The truth is, I knew there were countless churches across the city and the nation that not baptized a hundred truly converted sinners in a year, and most not in several years. Any growth came simply through transfers from one church to another. New York City was a hard mission field, but transfer growth was not what God had in mind for us. What we needed instead was a fresh wind and fresh fire. We needed the Holy Spirit to transform the desperate lives of people all around us. Alcohol and heroin dominated the neighborhood. LSD was also a problem, and cocaine was starting its wicked rise. Prostitutes were working a couple of streets' corners within three blocks of the church. Urban decay had clearly set in. Anybody who could make any money was trying to get away from our area. 
I despaired at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. Carol and I didn't want to merely mark time. I longed and cried out for God to change everything, me, the church, our passion for people, our praying. One day I told the Lord that I would rather die than merely tread water throughout my career in the ministry, always preaching about the power of the word and the spirit, but never seeing it. I had hoard the thought that just having more church services, I hungered for God to break through our lives and ministry. The phrase that stuck with me so many years ago was this. I despised at the thought that my life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on our behalf. One of the things that I love about being a pastor is the perspective that it gives me. You can learn a lot by experience, but it doesn't have to be your own experience, right? I think it's always better to learn from other people's experiences. And the one thing about pastoring is it puts me right in the middle of all different experiences. And I get to be a part of people's lives from the beginning when somebody is born all the way to the end when we're doing celebration services when a loved one dies and then everything in between. And what that does, it gives me a perspective on life and it shows me how quick life is. James chapter 4 verse 14 says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. How many of you know that is true? The older we get, it just seems like the years just go by faster and faster. Our lives are but a vapor. It's hard to see that the younger that you are, but the older you get, it just it's like everything speeds up. Everything gets faster and faster and faster and faster. And the reality is, is that you can go through life without ever tapping into the God vision that he has for your life. The reality is that you can go through life without ever engaging your audacious faith. The reality is that you can go through a life selling for much, much less than what God had in store for your life. And the reality is you can go through your whole life without ever seeing God show himself mightily on your behalf. You can just live this life without really experience the greatness of God working on your behalf. Now, why is this true? Why is this the case? I think one of the major reasons is because there are so many things that crowds out faith in our lives. And one of the major things that crowds out faith is fear. Everybody say fear. fear. Oh, that was a little sad. <laughs> Look at this in Numbers chapter 13, verse 26. It says, they came back to Moses and Aaron, the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. 
And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explore devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Now, if you remember this story, this is the story of God dramatically um, delivering the Israelites out of Egypt after they've been enslaved for five generations and how he dramatically delivered them and led them to this place they called the promised land. This territory, he said, I'm giving to you. This is going to be your home. This is going to be for, all you, for you and for your future generations. And he brings them right to the border of the land. But then the men go in and they spy out the land and fear grips their hearts because of what they saw. And as a result, they acted out of fear instead of faith, and they missed what it was that God had prepared for them. Think about that. An entire generation missed out on what God had actually prepared and made available to them, all because of fear. That's what fear does. Fear crowds out faith in our lives. And here's the thing I think you need to understand about fear, because fear is faith. Have you ever thought about that? Fear is faith. Why? Because fear is believing that something bad is going to happen in the future. Fear is believing that you're not going to get that job in the future. Fear is believing your child is going to die. Fear is believing that you're going to fail. Now, you have absolutely no idea what the future is going to hold. In this minute, you have no idea what the future is going to hold. You have no idea if something bad or something good is going to to take place. But you choose to grab a hold of fear, to walk in fear, and then you act out of that fear. That is faith. Genuine faith, however, is believing that God, what God says will happen. Genuine faith is believing that what God has in store for you is good. Genuine faith is believing that God has a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you, to give you a future, and to give you a hope. And that no matter what happens in the future, you know that he holds the future in his hands. You know that you can count on him, that he'll work all things together for your good. And so you still don't know what the future is. In this moment, you have no idea if something good or something bad is going to happen in the future. You don't know, but you choose to believe what God says is true. You choose to believe in God's goodness, that he'll take care of you in the future because he holds the future in his hands. And as a result of that belief, you take a step of faith. Here's the thing. Faith and fear are the same coin, just different sides. Both are faith, which means this. If you can choose to walk in and to act out of fear, you can choose to walk in and out of faith. It's a choice to walk in fear, and it's a choice to walk in faith. Both of them are faith. It's just what are you going to choose? And here's the thing. If you don't choose to walk in faith, believing what God says and believing in his goodness, then it will default back to fear. It will, the default mechanism for all of us who don't know what the future is, if you don't have faith grounding you, is you're going to walk in and out of fear. Fear crowds out faith. When I was a, a junior in college, I went on my first missions trip, and it was to Germany. I was eight weeks in Germany, and we was with a team, and we did street evangelism all over in the, some of the major cities there in Germany. And 
Um, almost every city, Petra knows this, has what they're called these Fußgänger zones, which are these pedestrian zones that are they're in, like, in your main street area. But cars don't go down them. Um, and so it's just there's walking. So it's a great place to do any sort of street evangelism because cars aren't there and people, just people are there. And so we could spend all day in these pedestrian zones doing pantomimes and singing and preaching and just talking with people and praying with people. Well, this one time we were in this one city and we'd been doing that all day. And across the area, just across from where we had set up our, our spot, there was this guy who was obviously crippled. And he had been sitting there all day just watching and listening to us. And throughout the day, I kept feeling this nudging. You know what it's like? It's nudging to go talk with and to pray for this man. However, we're continuing doing our thing. And every time the thought would come that I need to go pray for this man and pray for his healing, fear would grip my heart. And I begin to rationalize why I can't do this. Because if I pray for this man and he doesn't get healed or he doesn't respond, then what are people going to think? What's going to happen if, if nothing happens? And so as a result of that fear of the unknown of the future, I made a decision to walk in fear and I never prayed for that man. Now, I have absolutely no idea what would have happened if I would have prayed. But I know that by not praying, I know what happened. Nothing. And when I got on my, that plane to come back to the United States after eight weeks, that was the number one experience that left that impression inside. I could not shake that. I knew God had been stirring me to go pray for this man. But I allowed fear to control my behavior. And here's what I decided. I decided on that plane ride back home, I decided, you know what? I'm not going to ever do that again. I have a choice. I can either walk in fear or I can walk in faith. I'm not the one who heals. God is. But I'm going to respond every single time. Every time God tells me to do something, I'm just going to respond. I'm going to pray for everybody who needs healing. I'm not the healer. God's the healer. But I'm the one who's supposed to step out and do it. I just made a decision. I'm going to have faith be a part of my life from here on out. I'm not going to walk and, and be controlled by fear because fear crowds out faith. Not only does it crowd out faith in my life, but it'll crowd out faith in your life. Here's another thing that crowds out faith, and that is what I call our ace in the hole. Our ace in the hole. Now, how many have ever heard that phrase before, an ace in the hole? Any of you? All you who are card players are now showing your, your spots there. An ace in the hole means a hidden advantage or a resource kept in reserve until needed. The term comes from the game stud poker in which one or more cards are turned face down or in your hole and then there you place your bets and that ace is the card with the highest value it's sitting there in your hole ready to be used nobody else knows about it but you but you're able to play that at the right at the right time and the ace represents the the highest value card and so I want you to think about this because what is your ace in the hole What's your ace in the hole? Because every one of us, we have them. Remember, the ace is the card with the highest value. And so what is it that you will default to to put your trust in, to lean on, to pull out of your back pocket when things aren't happening the way they should happen? What are the things that you're going to pull out that are going to provide the answer? Because here's our challenge as Americans today. 
We are so incredibly blessed. You know, here this, today is the 15th anniversary of, of, the, of, of 9-11, and, and I just think of how as a, a nation we are so incredibly blessed and the people who have died to make sure that we have freedom. We are it's so incredibly blessed. If you haven't traveled overseas, and that may not even register yet, but let me just tell you, we are so incredibly blessed. Of all the people in the world, we are so incredibly blessed. We have so many blessings. We're blessed with amazing doctors. We're blessed with amazing medicines. We're blessed with jobs. We're blessed with having money in our bank accounts. Whether you have a dollar in your bank account or a million dollars in your bank account, we're blessed among the people of this world. We're blessed with having a warm place to live when it's cold outside. And usually we're blessed to have air conditioning in here when it's hot outside. But we're blessed. We're blessed with being able to have a roof over our head. We're blessed with being able to eat every day. We're blessed with all the possessions that we have. We're blessed with this freedom that God has given us, that we don't have to worry about persecution. We're incredibly blessed. And then you add on to these blessings. Every one of us have an incredible amount of abilities and talents and skills and intellectual prowess. We have all these things at our disposal. And so at the end of the day, there are so many things that I can do and accomplish all by myself. I have so many resources. I have so many blessings that there's a ton of stuff that I can do and accomplish all by myself. And so the reality for so many of us is we don't need God. Come on, don't look at me like that. It is true, isn't it? When push comes to shove, we may say, God, I need you. We may sing it, God, I need you, God, I want you. But when push comes to shove, when things don't happen the way you think they should, we have all these things in our back pocket that we can pull out to make sure things happen. So if I'm praying, God, I need you to heal me, and nothing seems to happen, I have all these resources. I can go to the doctors. I can take medicine so that I can get healed. If, I, if God doesn't provide the solution for this provision that I need, I can just put it on my credit card or go to the bank and get a loan or something. I don't have to stand in faith. I can just pull out from my back pocket all these different aces in the hole. Now, I'm not saying that anything, any of those things are wrong. They're fantastic. They are a blessing. But I'm telling you, our aces in the hole will crowd out faith because you don't need to act in faith because you have these things in your back, in your back pocket. Um, I'm going to jump here. I wanna, here's, the, here's the thing that, that I, I want to communicate because it's only when you step out of your comfort zone. It's only when you put yourself in a position where your aces in the hole are no longer available, that's when the miraculous will happen in your life. There's a story, go, you can go read it later, it's in your notes, the story of the, the rich young ruler, and we are rich, folks. We, God has blessed us so much. And if you read in different translations, you'll, you'll see just how our riches can stand in the way of God working in our lives. But when you step out of that comfort zone, when you step out in a place where you don't have those resources, then that's when the miraculous happens. When I um, graduated from college, I went over and I was associate pastor in a church in Germany, and this was right when the wall, the Iron Curtain was still up, and then after the current curtain came down, and the years um, right after that. And so um, I, I can't go through the whole story, but I ended up going back and forth from Germany to Poland, and there was a, a work of God, a movement of God that was happening in Poland. And, and uh, um, the first time that I took a group of people over there, 
the, all of the border crossings were still really difficult to get through. And uh, it would take long hours to get through, and it was just difficult to do. And, and as soon as you stepped over into Eastern Europe, it's like you went back to the 1930s. Um, everything was gray, and there was not your modern conveniences, and you just went back in time. And this was difficult just in terms of traveling, because you never knew where the gas stations were. And so when you found one, you got to make sure that you filled up your tank because you just never knew when you could get gas. And so it was just a challenge moving there. And so, um, and so we came, we went through Border Cross, we traveled and traveled, trying to find a gas station. We finally found a gas station. And by that time, everybody had to go to the bathroom. And so everybody that was in our car, I had this German car, and it was filled with, with all these, these people, and everybody ran to go to the bathroom. And I'm stuck doing gas myself. Well, think about German... German um, technologies are fantastic cars, but the cars, they lock autom automatically. And so as soon as I finished pumping the gas, I reached for the car door to open the door, and it was locked. And sure enough, my keys were sitting still in the ignition of the car. No problem, though, because uh, another person, a, a lady that was with us, she had an extra set. So I just waited till she got out of the bathroom and said, I need to use your keys. I locked my keys in the car. She said, uh, uh, I left my keys in the car, too. Both sets of keys were in the car, and I can't tell you how destitute we were. We were in the middle of nowhere. There was no solution for this problem except for breaking a window. That would have been our only natural solution to do. But as soon as, as, soon as she said um, there's, she, her keys were locked in there, I had this strange thought drop through my head, and that, that thought was, God, all you need to do is put an angel in that front seat and just push up the... The, the unlock button on the car. That's all that needs to happen. And as soon as I had that thought, the next thought was, you just put a fingernail, fingernail file into the lock. And so I, I turned and I looked at some of the ladies. I said, you, any of you have a fingernail file? Sure enough, one of the ladies had one of those long fingernail files that had a little po hooky thing on the end. I said, let me, let me, let me see it. Let me, let me use it here. And so I just I stuck that file, fingernail file, into the lock and just went like this in the lock unlocked. I tell you that story because I had no aces in the hole. There was nothing that I could do, like I said, except for break a window, then I would have had a problem the rest of the trip traveling through cold weather into Poland. That would have been a problem. But I had nothing in myself to pull out in that situation except for my faith. God, you need to do something here. I have no idea what to do. Now, you need to, you need to understand, I am not a car thief. I have never been able to unlock a car door that way before or ever since. Um, and so I know that I know that I know that what, for whatever reason, God did something to make that door unlock. And that's what happens. But our aces in the hole, as long as we're in those com places of, com of comfort, as long as you're not being audacious, you can provide the solution yourself and it'll push out faith. And then here's one more, one more major thing that crowds out faith, and that is secret sin. Secret sin. Look at this in Joshua chapter 7, verse 1. It says, But the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan saw son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, in the tribe of Judah, took some of them. So the Lord's anger burned. If you don't know the story, right before this was the Battle of Jericho. They finally got into the promised land. They, they, are, they get their first city, the, the Battle of Jericho. God is a tremendous thing in Jericho. Um, and, but one of the things that God warned them coming into that is that when you go in, do not take any of the silver or gold for yourself. 
That, that was a warning that God spoke to. And so this man, Achan, uh, disobeyed God, and he took some of what they called the devoted thing, some of the silver gold, and he hid it for himself. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up and spied out Ai, the next city. When they returned to Joshua, they said, Not all the people will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it, and do not weary all the people, for only a few men are there. So about three thousand men went up, but they were routed by the men of Ai, who killed about thirty-six of them. They chased the Israelites from the city gate as far as the stone quarries and struck them down on the slopes. At this, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell face down to the ground before the ark of the Lord, remaining there till evening. The elders of Israel did the same and sprinkled dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Ah, sovereign Lord, why did you bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been content to stay on the other side of Jordan. Oh, Lord, what can I say now that, the Israel, that Israel has been routed by its enemies? The Canaanites and the other people of the country will hear about this, and they will surround us and wipe us out, out your name from the earth. What then will you do for your great name? The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing down on your face? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their possessions. That is why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they have been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. Now, I want you to notice the effect of this particular secret sin. Because not only did it create loss and casualties, but fear gripped their hearts. And it caused Joshua's heart to be filled with doubt and unbelief. And it caused the Israelites to feel as if they were being disconnected from the presence of God. This is what secret sin does in our lives. It crowds out faith. It depletes you. It's like it cuts you off at the knees. It takes away your confidence. It makes you feel like you're disconnected from God, and it hardens your heart. But look at this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. It says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in us. The mistake that so many of us make is that we try to fight off our secret sins all by ourselves. That's the mistake. And if you're watching the the video here, that's what Darren did. He hid it. He stuffed it. I can do this by myself. I can kick this by myself. Nobody else needs to know. But when he couldn't do it by himself, that shame began to fill his heart. He started this downward spiral that was destroying his faith and almost destroyed his life and his family. That's what secret sin does. It crowds out faith. It crowds out God. And it crowds out others in our life. And not only does 
Secret sin does, but fear will do the same thing. Aces in the hole. All those things are things that crowd out faith. I want you to think about it this way. Because we have to contend with this, every single one of us. I want you to think about these rocks being faith. And here's the incredible thing. God says that you already have enough faith to move mountains. So many of us think we don't have enough faith. It's not about that. It's about the things that crowd out your faith that keeps you from acting in faith, but you have enough. And so these rocks represent faith. But what most of us try to do is that we establish our life with stuff. And our life is filled with a lot of great things. I already told you, all these aces in the hole are blessings. They're even blessings from God. Your talents, your ability, your personalities, your giftings, all these riches that God has given you. And we fill our life with those things. And then what most of us then we do, we try to add faith into the mix. And so we, we pile in faith. We come to church on Sunday and we try to add faith into, into our lives. And you can. You can add some faith to your life. But I want you to see the visual here. Look at how much is crowding out faith. The end result is you have much more of these other things than faith. So that's why when push, push comes to stuff, you're not going to walk in faith and out of faith because you have all these other things that are contending for your attention. But look at over here. If you establish your life first in faith, same rocks, same amount of rocks, if you put your life first in faith and then you add to your life all these things, all the blessings from God, all the talents, all your abilities, all the personality that God has given you, the resources that God has given you, your job, your possessions, you add those things into your life. And I want you to notice something here. There's more than enough room, isn't there? Same amount, different order. Did you hear me? It's the same amount, but just a different order. When you put your stuff in first, there's very little room for faith. But when you establish your life in faith first, and then these things are blessings. Look what God has done. And you add that into your life, you still have all the faith there. It's still there. All these things crowded out faith. I still have so much more faith that I don't have access to. Now I have access to them. Why don't you just close your eyes here this morning? Because I want you to think about your own life. And I want you to be honest here with yourself and even what we talked about here this morning. Because are you living your life based just upon what you are able to do? Are you living your life based just upon what you're able to accomplish on your own strength? Or are you living your life beyond what you're able to do and to accomplish in your own strength and ability? Are you living your life desperate for God to bless you, desperate for God to use you, to be audacious? I really believe that God is looking for the Jabez's of our generation who will not settle for what life has thrown them, who will not settle for just living their life based on the expectations of others, but will grab a hold of God and cry out, oh, that you would bless me indeed. I truly believe God's looking for people who will be audacious. And I believe that what God wants to do here in your life, in my life, is that he wants to take a group of seemingly insignificant people in a seemingly insignificant area of the world 
and do the extraordinary. I believe this with all my heart. I believe this is the heart of God. I believe it's what God is wanting to do in and through our lives, your life and my life. And so if we're at that line, if we're at that border crossing where God says, look, look, there's so much more to your life. Look at the promised land. Look at what I want to do in and through your life. Then why not ask, God, what can you do through me? God, use me beyond what I could ever do on my own. And then pray with audacious faith. Oh God, would you bless me indeed. Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning. Father, that all the things that have been crowding out faith, all the things that have caused us to think that we don't even have enough faith, that have caused us to shrink back, that have caused us to live a passive life, that have caused us just to live within the status quo of what life in this world has given us. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to these things, that you open our eyes to these faith crowders that's pushing out faith. And that, Father, that we would reorder our life, that we would put first things first, that we would put faith, knowing that you are who you say you are, that you are good, and that you have an amazing plan for our life, a plan to prosper us, to bring us hope, and to bring us a future, and that you are working. Lord, I pray that all these things of fear would just go quiet in our lives, that all these other voices that are crowding out faith, that all of these aces that we've been dependent upon, all these things that we've had in our back pocket that we can rely on, God, I pray that you would move us beyond that comfort, beyond that conventional thought, and that we would be people who walk by faith and take leaps of faith. Lord, I pray that dreams and visions would stir in people's hearts. Father, there would be, there would be this stirring that would happen, this, this holy discontentment with how life currently is to cause people to rise up and to say, God, there's more, and I want to be a part of it. Father, I pray all across this room that we would surrender. Father, we would surrender more and more to you. God, that we would put first things first in our life. Father, that our, or, our lives would be reordered with you at the center of our lives. 